there does not seem to be anything out of place with the concept of Tuesday the 13th, though certainly someone has written a script pairing this ill-sounding day with a figure like Krampus. Rather than imagine how that would turn out, better instead to learn that the unlucky day of December is also National Cocoa Day. So put the kettle on and grab a mug and settle in for the latest edition of Charlottesville Community Engagement. I'm your host, Sean Tubbs. On today's program, a legislator from the Shenandoah Valley has died. Inflation increased again in November, but not as much as in the previous month. UVA health officials recommend getting a flu vaccine and keeping a mask handy. Perone Robotics is to launch an autonomous shuttle at North Fork Discovery Park in Albemarle. And the University of Virginia's Buildings and Grounds Committee debates whether red brick should be included in the future building for the Karsh Institute of Democracy. In today's first Patreon-fueled shout-out, want to learn how to help our unhoused neighbors find affordable permanent housing? Livable Seaville is hosting a webinar, Homelessness in Charlottesville, From Stigma to Solutions, on Wednesday, December 14th at 5.30 p.m. Learn from experts from The Haven and the Blue Ridge Area Coalition for the Homeless about housing, homelessness, and policy recommendations to address homelessness in Charlottesville. Registration information is available at livableseaville.org. Delegate Ronnie Campbell of House District 24 has died after a battle with cancer, according to several media reports. Campbell was first elected to the House of Delegates in 2018 in a special election for a district that covered Bath and Rockbridge counties. He received 59 and a quarter percent of the vote against a Democratic opponent that year and was also opposed and won in 2019 and 2021. Redistricting led to new legislative boundaries in the Shenandoah Valley. If Campbell had chosen to run in 2023, he would have been a candidate in House District 36, which covers Stanton, Waynesboro, and parts of Augusta and Rockbridge counties. The Virginia Public Access Project lists sitting Republican John Avoli as a candidate for the Republican nomination contest. This means two vacancies in the House of Delegates and one in the Senate, with 29 days to go before the next session. There is a special election on January 10th for the soon-to-be former House District 35 in Northern Virginia to replace former delegate Mark Keem, a Democrat. There's also a special election for the old Senate District 7, which was vacated when Senator Jen Kiggins, a Republican, was elected to the U.S. House in District 2. Campbell's seat will be filled according to state law, with the governor declaring a special election. The United States Bureau of Labor Statistics has released the latest set of numbers put together to measure changes in the costs of purchasing goods and services. The Consumer Price Index rose 0.1% in November, slightly lower than the 0.4% increase in October. Here's a section from a press release that went out this morning. Over the last 12 months, the All Items Index increased 7.1% before seasonal adjustment. That's the smallest monthly increase since December 2021. 
The consumer price index is derived from prices in a wide range of broad categories and measures spending patterns for urban consumers and urban wage earners, or about 93% of the U.S. population. Here's an explanation from the press release. It is based on the expenditures of almost all residents of urban or metropolitan areas, including professionals, the self-employed, the poor, the unemployed, and retired people, as well as urban wage earners and clerical workers. The Consumer Price Index does not cover rural areas nor farming families. In November, the cost of energy decreased 1.6%, with the price of gasoline, natural gas, and electricity all down. Food, however, increased 0.5%, and shelter increased 0.6%. For the full list, visit the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics website. There's a link in the newsletter. There is no actual medical definition for triple-demic, which refers to rising cases of three respiratory viruses, but health officials are urging people to be vigilant as the holidays approach. Dr. Kosti Safri, Director of Hospital Epidemiology at the University of Virginia Health System, suggests that people consider getting the flu vaccine to help reduce the spread. The flu vaccine this year is a very good match for the circulating strains of, of influenza. Right now, it's predominantly an H3N2 influenza, um, influenza um, A, and um, that is a really um, <clears throat> significant flu strain that causes a lot of disease, particularly in older, older individuals. Dr. Sifri said the population is particularly vulnerable this year because immunity is still down two years after the first year of the pandemic. He said it usually takes a week or so to develop the antibodies, so this would be a good time to get them just before the holidays. With COVID and RSV both spreading in the community, Dr. Sifri advises people to wear masks in certain settings. You know, I'm electing to wear a mask um, in places where there's a lot of crowding indoors and I'm, you know, um, potentially at risk for being exposed to a respiratory virus, not only, you know, COVID-19, but also influenza or RSV. Dr. Sifri said he has noticed more people are wearing masks around this time with the colder weather. We've also um, heard from the CDC that they are also encouraging people to wear masks um, to, you know, to help reduce um, you know, the spread of these respiratory viruses um, um, as we're going through this triple-demic of, of COVID-19, um, influenza, and RSV. Part of the reason for that advice is to reduce the strain on already overburdened health systems across the United States. Another UVA health official thought masking may continue to become more common. Dr. Reed Adams is the University of Virginia Health System's chief medical officer. It's been common practice in a lot of other countries outside of the U.S. to, to do this already, even before the pandemic. So um, I, I suspect that uh, now that people know they have a choice and that this is a good means of, of preventing or decreasing the spread, that, that people will continue to choose to do so. A Crozet company has entered into a contract with the University of Virginia Foundation to provide an autonomous shuttle service around the North Fork Discovery Park in Albemarle County. The shuttle will begin by running during fixed operating schedules, transporting employees of companies located in North Fork and visitors between its nine Class A office and laboratory buildings. The shuttles will use Perone Robotics' Tony AV technology, which has previously been used for an anonymous shuttle around Crozet in collaboration with Jaunt. Tony stands for... To navigate you. More on this as it develops.
You're listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement, and in a sponsored message, Charlottesville Community Engagement's continued existence means that many of you support local information. Do you want to also support some local businesses this holiday season? The Buy Local campaign is in full swing, and both the Albemarle and Charlottesville Offices of Economic Development want people to consider spending locally as they shop this year. The Buy Local campaign highlights small businesses within Charlottesville and Albemarle County through a multi-channel, multimedia promotional and educational campaign designed to reinforce how important supporting area small businesses is to the local economy. The campaign will continue long after the holidays. Locally owned independent businesses with a brick and mortar presence in the city or county interested in being featured in the campaign should visit www.showlocallove.org or contact info at showlocallove.org. For more information on the Buy Local campaign, visit showlocal.love.org or follow them on Facebook and Instagram. Links in the newsletter. One big story today, and this one will get chopped up into a different order when it gets posted to Information Charlottesville. Just a quick plug for myself, now that I'm on the sponsoring thing. If you uh, would like to know more about things, do go to Information Charlottesville at infoseville.com. You will find segments uh, from the newsletter uh, archived on Information Charlottesville. The site will grow into something in the near future as I try to do my best to capture what happens in local democracy. The Buildings and Grounds Committee of the University of Virginia's governing body met last week and considered several items of business. The first was to approve the suggested name of the new hotel that is under construction at the Darden School of Business, or rather, two names. Alice Rocher is the University of Virginia architect. The proposed formal name is Frank M. Sands Hotel, Frank M. Sands Senior Hotel at Darden and Conference Center for Lifelong Learning. Uh, there will also be a proposed marketing name, which is the Forum Hotel, which uh, will be used in partnership with Kimpton Hotels and Restaurants, which has been selected as the hotel operator. Sands died in 2021 and had made a $66 million gift to Darden in May of 2019 the largest in school history to date. His son, Frank Sands Jr., is on the Darden School Foundation's Board of Trustees and is currently vice chair. The B&G Committee also reviewed changes to the athletics complex, made up of several different components between Central and North Grounds, around the site of the now-demolished University Hall. This complex includes a relatively new indoor football training facility. The complex also anticipates a new Olympic sports center. And as we are developing the drawings for Olympic sports, we are facing ever-increasing construction costs due to inflation. We made some changes to bring those costs down. These changes included reducing the size of the lobby and alterations to the exterior. The committee had no objections, with one member saying she thought it was an improvement. Rauscher then gave updates on the Emmett Ivy Corridor, where the former Cavalier Inn and other buildings were demolished to make way for the university's future. Construction is underway on both the new UVA Hotel and Conference Center and the School of Data Science. 
Rauscher presented the schematic design for the Karsh Institute of Democracy. As the university approaches its bicentennial in 1826, architectural firm Howler and Yoon are seeking to create something that captures the spirit of its founding to prepare for 2226. How do we design for the next 200 years? What will continue to resonate? Clearly, we want a design that speaks to democratic ideals, promotes healthy debate and discourse far into the future. Rauscher said the task force that informed the Emmett-Ivy Corridor directed a design to be one that would open to the public, as well as people associated with the university. As the design of the Academical Village was aesthetically innovated for its time, looking to the ancient past for the design of the rotunda, and to the future for the last pavilions, 9 and 10, the Emmett-Ivy Corridor has the charge, again from the Emmett-Ivy Task Force, to offer a physical expression and immersive experience of the university's global identity as a forward-looking institution at the leading edge of design, innovation, experimentation, and impact. The lobby for the Karsh Institute for Democracy will include bleacher seats for presentations. A highlight of the space is a 425-seat auditorium with tiered balconies that Rauscher said would still mean that smaller gatherings would feel intimate and warm. Rauscher said that there will be common colors throughout the buildings that seek to emulate what can be found elsewhere. The exterior of the Karsh Institute itself is included. So we're proposing to clad it in a warm white material that ties it into the overall palette of grounds. So both the School of Data Science and the hotel incorporate this color in their palettes. The main portico of uh, data science is in the same Swiss coffee paint color that we use on the lawn, as are the precast panels on the hotel and conference center, which denote special functions. Rauscher said UVA is seeking the highest level of LEED certification to help the institution meet its sustainability goals. You can read all of those details in the presentation. The committee did not take a vote on the design, but will do so in March after committee feedback. There was some opposition to the design, which incorporates limestone rather than red brick. Bertram Ellis is from Atlanta. Building the building is a beautiful building. It just has nothing to do with the University of Virginia. Um, and I, I'm totally object to putting something, designing something that's going to be entirely different. Ellis said he felt the athletic complex buildings did look as if they were part of UVA. Others were more supportive. Thomas D. Pasquale is from Washington, D.C. But I, I thought the, the, the structures around and the stairs and all brought so much message to me that I, I saw it differently. And I think you have to be very careful when you go away from the palace. On the other hand, I don't know how many red brick buildings you need to say it's UVA, but maybe. The student member of the Board of Visitors said the original Academical Village was intended to educate students about architecture and included details of different types of building styles. Here is Lily Roberts. We're thinking about it into the next 200 years. We also have to think about upholding Mr. Jefferson's legacy of teaching not only about the ideals of democracy, but also about design. And I believe that this building does communicate that. Dr. Stephen Long of Richmond asked if it would be possible to include some element of brick in the next version of the design. Perhaps the base instead of the limestone being a red brick to tie in the modern, to tie in the columns, to tie in the fluidity, um, and perhaps making an assimilation, a connection with 2226 and with 1826. So we have a little bit of the red brick preserving our past. 
Rauscher said the architectural team could take a look at incorporating brick in some way, but the idea had been to make this building distinctive. And I think the, the point of this was to let it sit apart from the red brick context. Everything we're doing on the Ivy corridor is red brick. Lewis Haddad from Charlottesville, the committee's vice chair, said the university should not squander an opportunity to make a statement for the future. He's the CEO and president at Armada Hoffler Properties. All I know is you don't get these opportunities often. I've had three in my life um, going on 40 years. Um, and so I just want to make sure we don't blow it by compromising one way or another. Whit Clement of Richmond, the University of Virginia rector, had a positive opinion. I happen to like the building. These are the same architects that did the memorial for enslaved labor. President Jim Ryan also weighed in. It took me a little while to come to it, but I really like it. But um, I, I, I also admit to liking brick. Um, <laughs> I just do. Not a surprise. Um, and um, I, I get the point about not compromising, but I wonder if you could play around a little bit and like have a nod. L.F. Payne of Charlottesville said conversations about architecture have always been a staple at the University of Virginia. He noted the committee was meeting in the rotunda. And I mean, you only have to sit in this room and look around and realize that architecture and UVA really are important to each other and know that Jefferson is considered the father of American architecture. And so I think we have a big responsibility here as the Buildings and Grounds Committee and as the board to make sure that when we build a building like this, an iconic building, that we get it right. Payne said he felt the design did qualify as embodying Jefferson's style and spirit. Carlos Brown of Richmond, however, called the design brutalist, a style from the mid-20th century known for minimalism and stark depictions of structure over decoration. The windows don't do that, but but I'm like, brutalist is not, like, it's not UV, it's not Jefferson. That, that's just my initial reaction. I feel brutalist. I don't feel elevated cathedral. I don't feel like this is the temple of democracy. I feel like it's kind of 1970s corporate. Amanda Pillion of Abingdon said she would like to see a rendering that included brick, but said she did like the building. She did want all of the new buildings in the precinct to be cohesive with the past. And I would hesitate to become like a lot of other schools um, where they have their beautiful central grounds and then they don't even take you to see the rest of it on the tour because it's, it's so different. So I do think it is important to try to, to try to do what we're good at and tie everything in. Rauscher said there would be more options developed before it comes back to the Buildings and Grounds Committee in March. More from the Board of Visitors meetings in future editions of Charlottesville Community Engagement. But that's it for number 471. When I began to write and produce today's episode, I did not expect to write a long conversation about the Emmett Ivy Corridor, but that's what seems to have resulted. I did drive through that area this morning on an errand run to Barracks Road Shopping Center and tried to imagine what had been there before, while also thinking about what it will look like. 
Charlottesville community engagement exists to document discussions like this. And to my knowledge, no one else has written about this conversation but UVA Today and Bacon's Rebellion. I would have loved to have written this story for last Friday, but my time is limited. I am glad to get to spend some time of mine writing articles about the future of our community, even though I have nothing to do personally with the University of Virginia. The cost of my time and the cost of my life is entirely paid for by listeners and subscribers. I'm a for-profit entity empowered by technology that allows people who want to read this kind of work to pay me directly. In 2023, I am hoping to hire more people to assist me because I believe the future of journalism about this community and others throughout Virginia is bright. That's because of you. You're the listener who made it to the end. There are more and more of you, and I'm hopeful to be here in March when the next design comes by and to track the progress for each of the new buildings that spring up in Emmett Ivory and all across Albemarle and Charlottesville. That's the sales pitch for today. Now the follow-up ting will match your initial subscription. If you want to go look at that, take a look at the About page. I got to get ready and write the next one. Special thanks to Liz Sarami and Jen Finazzo for their audio contributions today. If you would like to know more about how you can get involved or just anything about the program, drop me a line and I will try to think up of ways to answer you. I'm Sean Tubbs, the host of the program, on to produce and to record three different items at four o'clock, which is in 35 minutes my time. Everything is time shifted. 